This time we're going to dismiss our children down with Mrs. Maisie today. Pray that God continues to be at work in their lives and hearts. Today we're going to continue in our series in the book of Hebrews. I want you to grab your Bibles or follow along uh, on the screen if you do not have one. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to read all of it. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. You know, I know it's a little awkward, but I actually need your help with something right now. I know we're supposed to be starting the message. Shoot. I lost the key to my car. Do you guys, can you do me a favor? Can we all work together just like 30 seconds? Look under your seat. Look around you. I can't find the key to, the key to my car. Here's the issue, okay? We only have one of these keys. Okay, so if we lose this key, we, we can't drive the car. Are you tracking with me? So please, take a look around. Please, sound guys. I was at the soundboard a little bit earlier. So if you could just look around the soundboard, maybe uh, around the, maybe around the computer. Uh, Mike Haynes in the back, maybe just take a look. I actually see my bag right here. Maybe I put it in my bag. Not sure. What's so funny? No, I might have. Anybody find it? I know it's weird. This isn't how you start a message. But this is how serious this is. So anybody find it? No luck? Wait a minute. I found it. No one's excited? I found it. I found the key. The whole time I thought I had lost it. And yet, it was right here in my pocket. You know, a silly introduction it may be, but here's the deal. That's the same kind of situation that the recipients of this letter, Hebrews, are finding themselves in. They're confused, they're a little disoriented, and they think that they have lost something. But in all actuality, they have it. And I wonder if some of you here today are disillusioned, discouraged, confused, not sure. You feel like in the deepest part of you something is missing. And yet, you have it. That's what this passage is getting at today. So I want you to come to it with that kind of mindset. And I want you to follow along with me. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. It's okay everybody, it wasn't really going to be that weird or awkward moment where I really asked you to look for my keys. It's okay. Alright, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now, the point... And what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne 
of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is God's word. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Since the Garden of Eden and the fall of humanity, we as a human race have been wrestling with the question uh, with a question based on our sinfulness before God. How can sinful humanity restore back into relationship with God? That is, how can a humanity that has fallen from knowledge and connection, worship of the living God, the very God that made us, how can we, because of our sin, because of the just punishment that comes for those who sin. How can we be restored back into relationship with God? That has been the fundamental question 
that, has been, that we have been asking throughout human history. Now, some of you are saying, well, no, not really. I, I haven't really, really been thinking about that question at all. And really, those aren't the questions that are being raised on the news. So I'm not so sure we're really asking that question. Well, understand this. This is the question, the ultimate question that we should be asking. It's one that has eternal value. All the other questions have temporal significance. They'll have their answers in their due time. But this question, one that we often overlook and ignore, is the fundamental question that we should be asking. Because our eternity, our life, depends upon the answer to that question. That's why we're here, to ask ultimate questions about life and eternity. Questions that you don't hear anywhere else. You're going to hear here. How can we as sinful fallen humanity be restored back into relationship with God? Are you asking that question this morning? If the answer is no, please begin to ask that question today. The Old Testament, really the Bible, reveals that the answer to that question has to at least include in order to have a restored relationship with God, we must have a covenant. You might want to write that down. We must have a covenant, an agreement that is made between God and people, right? That establishes the terms and the blessings and, uh, the blessings and curses of not living into those terms. The Bible speaks of this. To have a relationship with God, we must have covenant. Second, we must have a priest. Okay, if you look at the Old Testament, you see that. That the whole Levitical priesthood was set up because there was a need for a priest. And we also need a sacrifice. So covenant, priest, sacrifice. In order to have a reconciled, restored relationship with God, there must be a covenant, a priest, and a sacrifice. How many of you were thinking about this all week long? None of you. We don't think along these lines, right? We, we feel far removed from any sort of concept of covenant, priest, sacrifices. But for the people that are reading this letter, it was the very essence of what it meant to know and worship and honor God, the holy God, as a sinful people. This is everything for the people that are reading this letter. We must have a priest. We must have sacrifices. We must have a covenant. And yet as they engage Christianity, you know, for them that was the key, right? That was the key that unlocked a relationship with God. And so as they engage Christianity, they began to kind of scratch their heads potentially and say, yeah, but, but where's the priest? Where's the, where's the covenant? Where are the sacrifices that are shed so that we can have relationship with God? Right? They, they understood the need for these things. We may not necessarily think along those lines. But you've got to understand the God of the Bible is one that says, in order to know me and, and, and to be, have relationship with me, you must have a covenant that I make, and you must have a covenant that you keep, and you must have a priest that serves, and you must have sacrifices that atone. 
or else you cannot have a restored relationship with me. These people understood that. And so they're scratching their heads. I don't know about this Jesus thing. That Judaism kind of gives us what we expect. They give us a covenant. They give us a priest. And they give us a bunch of sacrifices. So we're having a hard time maybe engaging long term this idea of Jesus Christ. And that's what the author of Hebrews has been writing about. And he comes to this opening verse in chapter 8, and he says, this is the main point that I've been trying to communicate with you throughout this letter. I know you feel the pressure to walk away from Christianity. I know you feel the pull back into Judaism. But please, don't miss it. Even though you don't see the priest, that doesn't mean that this Christianity does not have a priest. Christianity has a priest. Christianity has a covenant. Christianity has an all-sufficient sacrifice. You just can't see it. Look at what he says. We have such a high priest. You see that? If you go back to verse 26 in chapter 7, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. If you go back to 510, it talks about Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you go back to 414, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. If you go back to 2.17, for every high, oh, I'm reading chapter 5, I apologize. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. This has been what the author of Hebrews has been arguing for five chapters. We have a priest. We have a priest. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. You see, the reason we don't have the priest on earth is because our priest has gone into the heavens, to the true tent. So don't walk away from Christ as your high priest because he's not doing his priestly ministry here on earth in the temple. Don't walk away from Jesus because of that. No, you've got to understand that, that Jesus' priestly ministry is in heaven, right? It's in heaven. Jesus is serving as a priest in heaven. I say to my kids all the time when they ask me, how can I believe in Jesus when I don't see him? I always say, you can't see him because he's not here. It doesn't mean he's not real, but he's not here. Yes, he's here by the Spirit. Someone say amen. He did not leave us alone. Amen. But he is not physically here. He is in heaven. Serving as our high priest. 
You see, his gift, as it goes on to say, every priest needs to offer a gift. His gift was so sufficient and so substantive that it allowed him to pass into the heavens as the high priest so that he could eternally serve in a way that the Levitical priests could never serve in their earthly ministry. So don't miss the point I've been trying to make, the author of Hebrews says. In the person of Jesus, we have the high priest that we need. That's what he's saying to them. We have a heavenly high priest. So don't overestimate and therefore turn back to the Levitical priests. Right? They are just a shadow of the real deal. Right? He goes on to talk about this. He talks about the fact in verse 5 that the Levitical priesthood, the, the earthly tent and sacrifices, they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. You see, the, the, the covenant, the priest and the sacrifices on earth serve as a shadow that point us to the real deal. That's Jesus. Jesus is the real deal. Some of you parents of elementary students may be aware of this method of teaching. Uh, I don't know if I passed this when I was a kid. Uh, the diorama. Anybody know what a diorama is? Please put up the diorama. And uh, as you can see there, someone has decorated uh, inside of a shoebox and they have put uh, dolphins in there. And that, by the way, is a gift for Mike Becker. He likes dolphins. And so I wanted to give him that, that moment this morning. Some of, some of us, when we see dolphins, we think of football season. Some of us don't. Uh, he likes the dolphins. So I, I did this for him. But this is a diorama of dolphins. Friends, as Mike said... Those aren't the dolphins, the real dolphins, right? That's a diorama. That's an image that points to something that is real. That's not real. That points to something that is real. That's exactly, or at least in some way, shape, or form, what the law, what the priest, the old covenant, what the sacrifices are functioning to do. They are basically pointing us to the real deal, to the reality. That is Jesus. We have to see that today. So that's the main point. We have such a high priest. And for, for us today in 2016, that's the point that we also need to recognize. We have all that we need in Jesus Christ. We don't need anything else. We may not be looking around for a covenant and a priest and a sacrifice because we're so far removed from that, But in the deepest part of us, we may be looking for something that we feel like is missing. That we, if we just have that, then our lives will have meaning and they will be complete. Right? If I could just have that, then I will feel whole. Right? And so many of us in American society, we're driven by this desire. We, marketing creates a hole that we feel like some product has to fill. You tracking with me? Right? That we feel as though we're, we're missing something. We're walking around trying to, to find something that actually God has fully provided in Christ. Whether we look for that thing that in entertainment, uh, 
or other people and relationships in this world, whether or not we look for it in, in pleasure, uh, pleasure that this world offers to us, or just simply busying ourselves. I've been saying uh, to, to Doreen, as we've been just reflecting on some things, and I wonder if this is something that you feel, I think that ambition is killing us, right? Like, ambition can be holy. It can be just wonderful. And man, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of lazy people in the world that need ambition. Sometimes I'm one of those guys. Just, eh, right? You just need to get up early and get to work in life. Man up. Do something. We need to be ambitious. But all of that ambition needs to be couched in a biblical motivation, right? And sometimes we need to just stop. You see, we get ourselves so wrapped up in activity that ambition, because we want more, we're never satisfied, we're never content. If we just do this, if we just have that, then man, maybe that will fill the hole in my heart. But understand this, we have what we need in Jesus. We don't need anything else. So don't go around looking for some other priest or some other method of filling your heart with what seems to be lost. You have all that you need in the person and priesthood of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, thank you for that reminder. Because I usually forget it. But the Hebrew Christian still may ask, what makes you so certain? Because, you know, it's something that we see. We can interact with it. We can depend on it in the moment. This old covenant, these old sacrifices, these uh, old priests attached to the law. What makes you so certain that Jesus is all that we need? Maybe there's somebody here in the room today that is wrestling with, a, with skepticism. Maybe uh, you're, you're struggling, you're, you're confused, you're doubting, right? I think doubt is something that we all battle uh, as we interact with faith in life. So maybe you're here today and you're not so certain. You're wondering, man, spell it out for me. You know, this, this Jesus is all that I need. Do you really know what I'm wrestling with? Do you know the problems that I face? Do you understand the financial realities that I stare at? Do you understand how my spouse, what my spouse thinks of me? Do you understand what he said to me? Do you understand... Uh, the kind of yearning in my heart that I have for, for that promotion. You seem to be a little out of touch. You're saying that Jesus is all that I need. Here we go with the preacher up front just saying, Jesus is all I need. You've got to spell it out a little bit more than that. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're wondering uh, if there's anything more that, can, that the author of Hebrews can give you to make his point. Guess what? Yes, there is. Verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the... Than, I'm sorry. But Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The author of Hebrews is saying, 
Jesus is all you need because he is mediating. He's standing in between. He's, he's a representative of the people, a perfect representative of the people, and he is a perfect representative of God. And the covenant, the terms of the relationship that he is mediating is better than the old. His priestly ministry is better than the old. His covenant, that the covenant that he mediates is better than the old because the promises that it has are better than the old. Bottom line, he's like, Jesus is all you need because he is better than the old covenant. He is the best. He stands tallest. He is supreme. He is superior. No one can stand a chance in terms of comparing him to anything else. This is a comparison. It's, a, it's an argument based on comparison here. We have that argument in our house all the time. Silas is consumed with comparing A to B. That's what he does. When he was really young, he said, who's the best basketball player in the world? And I was like, took me about 30 seconds. Because I was like, he's 50, his name's Michael Jordan. Um, but I couldn't say that, because I wouldn't be fair. I said, LeBron James. LeBron James, my favorite player. That was it. I was like, have you ever seen him play? Nope. Nope. That was it. I'm like, well, I guess we better start watching him if he's your favorite player. And then every time, oh man, Stephen Curry's good. Is he better? <laughs> no, he's not better. He's good, but he's not better. Kevin Durant's go. Is he better? <laughs> no. And he just gives me that smirk. That's it. His whole life is who's better. That's it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen. At the end of the day, he's sufficient because he's better. Jesus is better. He's better than the old. His priesthood is better than the Levitical. His offering, his gift of himself is better and more sufficient. And by the way, it is enacted upon better promises. The promises of the covenant that he mediates are so much better and so much more profoundly miraculous and life-changing than the old covenant. As a matter of fact, the shadow could never accomplish what the reality can. That's why you don't turn away from Jesus to anything else. He alone is the key that unlocks all of God's promises. Please, if there's anything you get today, right? It's in Jesus Christ, all of the promises of God in terms of salvation are unlocked in Him and in Him alone. That's what he's trying to say. Don't miss the point of that. Don't leave Jesus because he is the only key that unlocks the promises of God in the new covenant. That's why he's better. And he goes on. And he tells us specifically what's that. And he's quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. See, the old covenant was faulty. 
It was never sufficient to transform the human heart. Right? It was a shadow. It pointed and, 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 and showed the need. Yeah, you need covenant. You need priest. You need sacrifice to deal with sin. That's how we're going to relate God and people. Don't miss that. But understand this. The old covenant, the old priest, the old sacrifices were insufficient. Right? I kept the covenant. But, but the old covenant didn't have the chutzpah to make you faithful. You broke that covenant. That covenant was not sufficient. You broke the covenant. That's what is faulty with it, really. You broke it. It's a broken covenant that did not transform the human heart. So the covenant that I'm going to make, the new covenant, will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them out of Egypt by the hand. And I love the repeated language that, that goes all the way through it. And I want you to see this before we get into 10 through 12. That really the solution to our greatest problem, our sin. Please don't miss this. The solution to our greatest problem is God's gracious action. Really the solution to any problem is God's gracious action in our life. Amen? Look at what he says. Days are coming. I will establish a new covenant. I will do it. I made with their fathers. I took them. That's past gracious action. The exodus. God is graciously at work in the lives of his people. That is the remedy for their greatest problem, sin. God's gracious action. He says, I will make, I will put, I will be, I will write, I will be merciful, I will remember their sins no more. Please don't miss the repeated language that emphasizes the fact that our solution remains to be the gracious action of God in Jesus Christ. Don't turn anywhere else than to the gracious action of God in the person and priesthood of Jesus. Don't give up on Him. Ten actions in those verses. Don't miss that repeated language. It's emphasis. I will. I will. You were unfaithful, but I will. What a shocking reality. When was the last time you wrestled with the shocking nature of divine grace at work in your life? You were X, and yet Jesus, God in Jesus, did Y. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, made me alive together with Christ. Why are you sitting here today even pondering this text? It's the result of God's gracious work in your life. The remedy for all your issues and sins and distortions is not yourself. Think of 
the days when Michael Vick got caught with the dogs, he stood in front of the reporters and he said, I will redeem myself. No, you won't. You can't. I think a year later, Elliot Spitzer got in trouble. Remember Elliot? Elliot Spitzer. I will atone for my private sins. Quote, unquote. You see, there's something inside each of us that says, here's the issue, here's the problem. I will prove myself. I will make myself. I will. But you understand this, that will never solve your problem. You cannot be your own priest. You cannot create your own terms of relating to God. And you cannot sacrifice yourself. It will not be sufficient. You cannot do it. Only God in Christ and His gracious work can do what is necessary to save you from your greatest problem. It's God's grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. Amen? Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. You see, this is the wonderful truth of the new covenant, the covenant that Jesus mediates. In Jesus and through Jesus, God acts to transform our heart. The old priesthood, the old covenant, the old sacrifices could not transform the human heart. But in Christ, in the new covenant, in his priesthood, guess what? He literally acts in such a way to write his law upon your heart. You see, in the old covenant, he wrote it on tablets, stone tablets, the law, right? But now in the new covenant, he's writing his law, he's, in, he's etching the truth on your heart, in the deepest part of you. He's radically transforming your identity. The old covenant can't do that. So don't go back to the old. Because it's in Jesus, and through Jesus, God is acting to transform our heart. This is really the source of our issues, right? If we take a look at sin, really sin is not just an issue out there, but sin is an issue in the deepest part of us. Sin is something that, you know, if God were going to destroy evil in the world, uh, all of the evil in the world, he would, he would probably judge us. Because sin is in us. We are depraved and distorted. And God is saying, I'm going to deal with that. In the new covenant, I'm going to transform the human heart. I'm going to take a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. But really, God's temple, <laughs> his tabernacle is his people. It's an amazing truth to consider. Next, it says, in, and through Jesus, God acts to forgive our sins. I'm going to jump down to verse 12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Some of you are wrestling with deep sense of guilt, besetting sins and struggles. Some of you actually have ignored sin. You've minimized it. You've shoved it under the rug. It's not a big deal. But what we see here is the new covenant work of 
Christ shows the, the infinite issue that it is. That our sin has separated us from God. It stands between us. It has severed divine human connection. That every and all issues in this world can be traced back to sin. And every and all issues that you face in your life can be traced back to sin. Sin is our core issue. And the sins that we commit disobeying the Lord's word and having dispositions of rebellion and indifference to, to God that made us to know Him and love Him, those sins are a death sentence. Eternal death sentence. And so sin needs to be dealt with. And what God is saying is in the new covenant, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That is, from eternity to eternity, it will be gone as far as the east is from the west. So far does He remove our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on children. We think of the psalmist who says, how how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Calvin says this, he says, Doubtless, this is the only true asylum of our faith. This promise. Forgiveness of sin. The sin that stands in the way is dealt with. It's removed. It's paid for in the cross of Jesus. It's the asylum of our faith to which if we flee not, Constant despair will be our lot. For we, are, for we are all of us guilty, nor can we be otherwise released than by fleeing to God's mercy, which alone can pardon us. Friend, the mercy of God is sufficient to forgive every and all sins. No matter how far sin has taken you, no matter how deep the pain may be, the mercy of God is sufficient to forgive it and to heal it, and to remove it, so that it no longer stands between you knowing and enjoying and worshiping Him throughout all eternity. That's what the priesthood of Jesus and the covenant that He mediates gives to us forgiveness of sin, the true asylum of our faith, where we run when we feel the vulnerability of guilt. Isn't that awesome? But this renovated heart and the forgiveness of our sin leads to what uh, someone called the pinnacle of our faith. Not the asylum, but the pinnacle. He says, I will be their God. They shall be my people. Union. Union with God. I will be their God they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You see, forgiveness of sin, the transformation of the human heart, I believe, leads to the greatest gift of the gospel, knowledge of God himself. You will know him from the least of them to the greatest. Knowledge. Right? They I I know my own, Jesus says, and my own 
know me. Right? This is eternal life, Jesus said, that, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. True knowledge of God. So I want you to see that in and through Jesus alone, God is acting to do what the old covenant, really nothing else could do. Transform our depraved heart, forgive our sin, and restore us back to relationship with God. Back to our original question. How can sinful humanity be restored back into relationship with God? Or let me be personal about it. How can you know God? Well, you need a covenant. In Christ you have a new covenant. You need a priest. In Jesus Christ, you have a priest. You need a sacrifice. In Jesus Christ, you have the all-sufficient offering of Himself. Once for all. In Jesus, we have all that we need. Covenant, priest, sacrifice. There's only one key. And that's Christ. You see, it's interesting because we do have another key to this, right? Like, this is the one that I had previously, and then because we lost both key fobs and the other key in the fob, that's just how we roll. We went and said, oh, I know what we'll do. We will make a duplicate. We went to Home Depot, and we made a copy Looks the same. Seems to offer the same promise. So I went home, proud husband. Hey, babe. Got another key. Solved that problem. Let me show you. Went out to the car. Put it in the uh, door. Opened it. Boom. Boom. Sat in the car, driver's side, click, click, doesn't work. It's not the real deal. It's not the real deal. It looks like the real deal, right? It's a phony. doesn't work. Worth a garbage, actually. doesn't work. There's only one key to my car, baby. I know it's kind of scary. My grandparents are like, our grandson is nuts. There's only one key. We could try to make copies. We could try to rely on copies. But we need the real deal. We need the real deal. I think that's what he's saying, is you have it. You have the real deal. We have such a high priest. We have a covenant that is better, by the way, that actually secured the promises that the Old Covenant could never give. We have it. And so today, I, I just want to emphasize that in closing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the key that unlocks all the promises of salvation. Don't give up on that. Don't walk away from that. Don't try to live with a phony version. It will not provide 
If you're here today and you've never seen Jesus as such, we're calling you to trusting in Him. We're calling you to, to worship God, relate to God, know God for who He is through Jesus Christ by just simply saying, He is enough. He is enough. He is the key. I rely fully and completely upon Him for every new covenant promise to know and worship and enjoy the living God, which I was made to do. I will look to Jesus, and I will never turn my eyes off of Him. Because He's the one that unlocks the promises. And I think for us who have believed that maybe are feeling discouraged or tired or confused, this prompts faithfulness and perseverance. That's what Hebrews is trying to do. He's driving us nuts. If you didn't think uh, Jesus was supreme yet, let me give you another argument. Let me, give you an, let me write another chapter to show you the supremacy of Christ. Do not turn away from Him. Do not give in to the pressure of something else to provide the very life and meeting and eternity that you long for. It's only in Jesus. He's the only key to unlocking all of the promises of God. So trust in Jesus. Draw near to God in worship through Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Stay faithful to Jesus. Never turn away to anything else. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the high priest we need in heaven. He's the mediator of all that God has promised. Amen? Jesus is enough. He is better. Let's pray. Our Father, you have graciously worked in human history to keep every promise that you have made in the Old Covenant. And you have done so in Jesus Christ. You are a faithful God. In a day and age where we hear many promises from many leaders and people, in a day and age where we read fake news, how refreshing it is to hear the good news, the true news. How good it is to be reminded of someone we can trust and someone who is faithful. You are God. You're faithful. May our attention and our adoration and our affection never move from the left or to the right. May it be constant on Christ. May we never try to unlock beauty and joys of this life with any other key other than Christ. It's Him and Him alone that saves and is sufficient. Help us to respond to these things, Lord, appropriately with holiness, with joy, and humility. For none of us will be singing or standing here today if we're not for the gracious action yours in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.